Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you'll hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we are wrapping up Selection Sunday here across the nation. There are heated, fervent debates going down about who was in, who was not, all kinds of stuff. The chat, the group over on Any Given You has been fiery all day long. Folks have been making their cases for their teams, their opinions, their takes on what happened, what we saw today, what came out of conference championship weekend. And to be honest with you, I really would like to focus on talking more about the games themselves because the games to me always matter. That's why we play the games. That's why this stuff shakes out. I certainly have my own opinions as to what happened with the selection, with the committee, the choices that were made, and the rationales behind them. I definitely want to unpack that on this episode, kind of get into thoughts. Obviously, as you know, if you've been a listener of the show, you know anything about me, you're part of the community over at the uh, Any Given You Facebook group or follow me on Instagram, you know I am a dogs fan. You know this has been a little bit of a rough weekend, uh, but rough in the sense that it's first first world problems <laughs> first certainly first world problems if you're a Georgia fan i mean the dogs take their first loss in 2 years still playing in a new year's 6 bowl it has been announced they will square off against florida state more on them uh, later in the podcast in the orange bowl uh, very excited for the opportunity to see you know my team compete one more time this year it is certainly you know, we're not in an impoverished program by any stretch of the imagination. It does sting always, uh, you know, when you do want to see your team succeed, especially against what I would consider to be uh, our arch nemesis over the last several years, as you've seen the ascension of the Georgia program and Alabama still being there. It sucks going out in Mercedes-Benz Stadium again to the same team that seems to own that venue, um, you know, but I digress. I am still incredibly, incredibly proud of my team, incredibly proud of the Georgia program. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Things just fall, you know, they, that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Speaking of things that I'm proud of, it's really neat uh, to see my Spotify wrapped this year, which is just basically a 
uh, a compilation of all the stats and data uh, from the podcast this year. Uh, we've created a, a 868 minutes worth of content this year in 2023. So very excited about that. We saw a uptick of 109% increase in streams, a 57% increase in our listenership this year, and 80% of our listenership discovered us this year. And that does not happen without the dedication from the cult following from my hardcore listeners and the you crew that tunes into this show and tells folks about the show because this is all word of mouth. We do not pay for advertising here. I don't have plugs. I don't have sponsors. I don't have anything. It's just me, a microphone, a headset, my thoughts about college football. So I'm incredibly, incredibly humbled at the growth of the show this year. And I just want to say a huge, huge thank you and a big shout out to our entire community, all of our listenership. It's really special. It really made my day to be able to sit back and see that folks actually listen and you, and you guys share these things. And, um, you know, I, I do have folks that return and, and listen to the show and share the show and rate the show. We have a 4.8 rating across all platforms. So just thank you so much for, you know, supporting the, 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 you, uh, supporting the show, supporting the group, supporting me on Instagram and telling your friends about it. It's just, really a humbling, humbling thing because as a podcaster, especially an independent podcaster, an underground guy, you don't know. Sometimes it's, I feel like it's me sitting in this room, just speaking into the ether, wondering if anybody cares. And uh, it's neat to see the return on the numbers and the analytics from, from the show. So I can't say it enough and I can't stress it enough. Thank you so much for taking part in this experience with me. As we said, Selection Sunday on the heels of basically what went down in this conference championship weekend, just unpacking some of the games, the the action got started on Friday night with the Pac-12 championship between Oregon and Washington, Washington taking that contest 34-31. And I got to be honest with you, man, so this this conference championship weekend, we saw a lot of the underdogs take the cake in these competitions, and this was one of them. Oregon coming in as favorites at 10 and a hook, definitely certainly thought that Oregon in a rematch in a neutral site in Las Vegas would be the more physical team, would be the more polished team. We saw the Ducks look like the better team over the last several weeks, and Washington, albeit finding a way to win every single week, just did not look like the same Washington that we had seen in September, early October. They were nursing about a month, five to really honestly five to six weeks of Washington just not being the same kind of Washington we saw them you know, start the season as. We did see them win, though, in a variety sort of in different ways. We saw Washington start to lean more onto their ground game uh, with their extremely you know, talented running back in Dylan Johnson behind a big physical offensive line that Washington still does have. They have a lot of older guys on their roster. Their defense from time to time was a liability, but it seemed like they were able to stiffen up in certain competitions when needed. I, I, the the competition in Corvallis against uh, 
Oregon State is really what comes to mind, kind of winning in the, those conditions. It was wet. It was nasty. It was a physical contest. This was a team that just kind of found a way to win under Kalen DeBoer, and they did it again against Oregon. From the outset of this game, this was a team effort by Washington. They dominated the trenches. They looked like the most physical team on the field that day. And when you are the second most physical team in a football game, that does not bode well for your success. You have to rely on your opponent at that point in time to make mistakes, which Washington was able to keep those to a minimum. Michael Penix still threw for 300 yards in this contest, but I don't think that he was the one that carried this one. It was that offensive line. It was that ground game, and it was that defensive line. On both sides of the ball and the trenches, that to me was the Heisman performance that got – Washington over the hump against Oregon. Uh, on an individual level, I thought that Bo Nix played about as well as he could have uh, in terms of just making big plays and you know kind of giving his team a little more of a boost uh, with with his legs and um, making making a couple of tough throws. He did have the one interception, but on the night. You know, 21 of 34, missed a couple of shots, but 239 yards passing, three touchdowns. And then, again, what he was able to do with his feet. I think he made the bigger plays, but Washington played better as a unit on both sides of the ball in the trenches and took the pressure off of Michael Penix having to do it all himself. Jalen McMillan, uh, Jalen Polk, um, Roma Dunze, they all turned in a another you know standard outstanding performance for this receiving core, which is one of the most dangerous in the country, as what we've seen them put on tape. So, congratulations to Washington. They are undefeated right now. They have made the college football playoff, and they they are the Pac-12 champions. Georgia, Alabama. I mean, I got to get into this one. That this so square off in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Again, what I saw on tape, when I watched Georgia and Alabama over the last several years, when you watch these two teams square off, it just has so much more of a feel of kind of an NFL game, right? When you see so many future pros squaring off, it feels much more like a pro-style game than when you're watching some of these other matchups. When you watch Oregon versus Washington, it feels very, very much like a college-level football game. Georgia-Alabama has more of that sort of that pro feel. And in pro games, what it really comes down to is a handful of moments, just a handful of moments where somebody executes at a slightly higher clip than the other team that is also executing at a high level. I saw a high-level chess match, a high level of physicality from both of these teams. I felt like the turning point in the game for this one was a lot of folks are talking about how banged up Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers were, which I, that certainly f goes into the outcome of this game. It, it, you can't ignore it, but I think the biggest loss in this competition that the Bulldogs ended up taking was when Amarius Mims, their starting right tackle, was injured and did not return to the, the competition. That changed the entire composition of that offensive line, having to insert Xavier Truss 
into the right tackle position, having to scramble some guys around on that line of scrimmage. And when you're going against a defensive front that Alabama has this year, Alabama has gotten back to the basics of what they historically did well under Kevin Steele defensively. They're putting more of an emphasis on that defensive line, that front seven. They certainly have the talent to do so. They tackle better and pursue and attack better this season than you've seen out of Alabama defenses the last couple of years under Pete Golding. When you lose that advantage up front, and now the composition of your offensive line changes, Alabama was able to pin their ears back, really get after it, and create quite a bit of disruption in the gaps. Dallas Turner um, certainly did a really good job off the edge uh, in this competition. Um, they had some guys on defense that were playing like their hair was on fire. Carson Beck, 243 yards passing. Not all the throws were there for him. Again, just one of those situations where both of these defenses, I felt, did a pretty good job of bottling up the traditional passing game. It was in the margins offensively for Alabama with Jalen Milrow making some athletic splash plays and improvising, able to keep some drives alive, keep some plays alive that really gave Georgia some fits. I will address the SEC officiating in this one. Uh, look, there were some bad calls. I think both teams got hosed on a couple of calls. Georgia certainly did get the worst of that exchange, however, on a pass on fourth and four where Isaiah Bond makes what I would consider not to be a catch, but I'll put it in air quotes, a catch, uh, to extend the drive, and that turned into points. You can see on the replay the ball skids across the ground underneath. The ground certainly – assists him with that catch. The fact that the officiating crew did not take another look at that was extremely frustrating. There was also a questionable horse collar tackle later in the game. Alabama got flagged for a holding penalty where I didn't really see holding. Um, there was a play where Jalen Milrow was sacked and it was debatable or questionable whether or not he was down camera angle was a little funny it looked like his shin may have scraped it i don't know there there was a couple of iffy calls in there for sure for the 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 officiating crew but at the end of the day what it really boiled down to was alabama was able to take advantage of certain situations more often than georgia was they were able to stretch out the perimeter run game that georgia was trying to get going because the the solid middle of that alabama defensive front was stout for most of the day they were able to string out plays, make negative plays. They kept Georgia uncomfortable and off balance most of the first half. The second half, you could see the dogs start to settle in a bit, but the real crucial point in this game was a fumble on an end-around play to Dylan Bell on about the eight-yard line. Alabama recovers the fumble. The dogs do a good job bowing up their neck defensively and holding the tide to just three, but it put it back to a 10-point game. And it was just a little bit – it was a little too late. It was too little too late in this competition for Georgia to rip off the win. Alabama gets the win 27-24 once again in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which honestly, as a Dogs fan, it feels like we're playing in a graveyard every time we go in there to play an SEC championship game. It's it's uh, It should be a, a, a light and – fun and inviting home atmosphere instead it is it's drama it's tension and it's stress given the historics of what has happened in that building so the tide find a way to get it done 
they come back, they pull their Jason Voorhees routine, they're back poking a hole in the dog's boat. And unfortunately it didn't go, it didn't go the way that I would have liked it to, but it went the way that it needed to go. The big 12 championship game, Texas drags Oklahoma state in this one. They came out like their hair was on fire, scoring 21 points in the first quarter. They put another 14 on the board before the half. And then in that spot where you you thought that maybe for a little bit, a, a, a short period in the third quarter, Texas begins to squat on it a little bit. They begin to sit on the ball a little bit. It seemed like they were content to run clock. And Oklahoma State's defense began to bow up. And they actually held Texas to, uh, I think it was three consecutive three and outs at one point in time. But they never could take advantage of it and make a score of their own in the third quarter. And then Texas scores two more touchdowns in the second half to make this one 49-21. Texas, Quinn Ewers throws for 452, four touchdowns, one interception. A.D. Mitchell, six receptions, 109 yards, and a touchdown. And then uh, the run game with Robinson and Blue had no trouble getting going today or in that competition, not today, yesterday, excuse me. But – it it just boiled down to Texas had the much better roster. They had the much better team. They had the much better playmakers. And I think they knew exactly what the mission was. They knew they were vying for a college football playoff spot. They knew they needed to continue to pass the eye test. And then Alabama getting the win in the SEC championship game certainly helped their cause at the same time because Texas does have that head-up win against Alabama. They they demolished Oklahoma State in impressive fashion to capture the Big 12 belt in the very last year that they're going to be in the Big 12. And this is a very dangerous team headed into the playoff. Texas's defensive line is as good as any defensive line in the country that's playing at a high level. I think they're just as good as Michigan's defensive front that has been much heralded. I think they are just as good as Alabama's defensive front. Um and Florida State's defensive front, which has come on very nicely, you know, towards the towards the end of the season here. So I would say those those teams probably have the best defensive fronts in all of college football, and that is over Georgia's um, defensive front. That's not quite what it was the last couple of years. But Texas and Michigan, Alabama, and and I think Florida State too have those kinds of defensive fronts. They have those Jims and Joes up front that will disrupt your day and uh, give you something to think about. So Texas is a, absolutely a dangerous team moving into the playoff. Michigan took care of business against Iowa in another low-scoring Big Ten rock fight under that was easily going to cash. Iowa's defense, I'll say this about the Iowa Hawkeyes, man. If they had a mediocre offense, if they had an offense that was ranked somewhere in – the 60 range, if Iowa could consistently put up 28 points a game, you wonder how many games or how many championships Iowa could potentially have at this point in time because their special teams and their defense really is phenomenal. I mean, they do a great job at that program developing and coaching guys on those sides of the ball. The offense just stinks so bad and Michigan knowing that there was never really a threat I think of anything happening happening offensively they just kind of weathered the storm played a little bit of Iowa's game leaned on their far superior roster to Iowa and 
just put the formula to them. They, they played a patient and composure style game, able to finally take the contest 26 to nothing. I don't think that there's too much to unpack there other than once again, quarterback JJ McCarthy under 150 yards passing. I mean, this is certainly a team that is absolutely built on mauling you in the trenches and that run game. It makes you wonder if there is a team here in the playoff, which I have the sneaking suspicion there is. If they're able to stymie that run game, they're able to take those things that Michigan wants to do away and put it on J.J. McCarthy and the receiving core for Michigan, what does that look like? There has not been a team that's been able to do it this, this so far this season, but that is Michigan playing in the Petri dish of the Big Ten. They don't have any big-time out-of-conference matchups yet to really go off of, so coming into the playoff scenario once again in the postseason we're flying a little bit blind with michigan um historically we have seen the wolverines go on after looking dominant in the big 10 conference and then not able to put it together in the postseason they're coming into the playoff ranked at number one they are going to be facing off against number four alabama i saw a snippet of their watch party when they revealed that alabama would be the team that they were going to square off against in the first round of the playoffs. They will play in the Rose Bowl in California, which is a true neutral site for both of these teams. But to say that Michigan was excited at the news that they were going to have to play the Crimson Tide would, I think, be inaccurate. The It was a very subdued reaction from a team that just made the college football playoff. I believe that they were absolutely not wanting to see Alabama show up in the fourth spot, nor do I think they would have wanted to see Georgia show up in the fourth spot either. But uh, given the historics with Alabama and Georgia in the postseason, I, I guarantee you that was not the teams they wanted to see show up there. And lo and behold, the Crimson Tide are in again and set to face off with them. So <clears throat> that's what's going on with that. So the, the the playoff field is is set, which brings me to this point: Florida State wins the ACC title, sixteen to six over Louisville. They have to do it on the strength of their defense, which showed up and showed out in a huge way, in a massive way, in a really really big way. I mean, when you break down what happened in this competition. Louisville held to just 2.3 yards rushing in the competition, 3.1 yards per pass completion for Jack Plummer, a 13.1 QBR, which hilariously enough was actually still better QBR than freshman quarterback Brock Glenn for Florida State wound up putting up at, uh, he had 12.7. It was offensively two one-legged guys in an ass-kicking contest with each other but defensively florida state absolutely put on a clinic with seven sacks and 14 tackles for loss tatum bethune coming up with a monster interception in the fourth quarter in in the in florida state's own end zone to stop any momentum that louisville had um 
uh, incredible stuff from the defensive front and the defensive secondary, the whole defensive unit all together. They all deserve the game ball without a doubt. And they win the ACC championship. But Florida State is left out in this process. And it makes you wonder, what is the committee thinking? What does the committee where is the justification exactly for for how they went about the process here selecting these four teams for the playoff because if you if you're looking at it objectively you have a power five conference undefeated team who was already ranked number four in the college football playoff rankings now i understand what happened to jordan travis we all do he snapped his leg in two. He's not coming back. You have Tate Rodemaker take a concussion, be in concussion protocol for this game. Florida State down to their third-string quarterback. The rest of the offensive unit, by the way, did not look very good at all in this competition. I was a little disappointed with that. I think a lot of people probably were that somebody on that offensive side of the ball couldn't step up and start making some plays for this unit in lieu of the quarterback situation. They they look disjointed in general. Toa Feely, the leading rusher on the night, did have 10 carries for 118 yards in the touchdown. But again, the, there were moments. It was just splash plays. It was just pops. On a down-to-down basis, Florida State's offense was pitiful. There's no other way to put that. So taking a look at it, what was the committee think? Was it, we don't want a bad television product? Is that the way they were going with this? They didn't want Florida State to get quote-unquote embarrassed in the playoff by some of these teams that are much more complete than they are right now with their starting roster, starting lineups, the quarterback situation. Is that one of the trains of thought that uh, influenced this decision here? Did we really think that Alabama was so impressive in a three-point win over Georgia that they deserved to jump up all the way that they did? Jumping up, what what would that be, four spots for beating, quote-unquote, the best team in the country in Georgia, but simultaneously you take, quote-unquote, the best team in the country in Georgia, undefeated in 29 straight games, and then you bump them down to number six in the country? So how much weight could that have held if now they're the number six team, right? And then you take Florida State and you bump them down a spot as an undefeated Power Five conference champion who just won the ACC and they're penalized for it. They drop down to the fifth spot to make room for Alabama. Okay, here's my thoughts on this. I think yesterday, and I think we can all be big boys and girls in the room, okay, and admit this, admit this is a truth right now, okay? Like, let, let's cut the bullshit. Let's just admit this is a truth. The only game that mattered yesterday was played in Atlanta. The only game that was going to have a real impact and a real bearing on the college football playoff to the degree that we have seen it today was played in the SEC championship game because if Georgia had handled business and won that game, this scenario doesn't happen. If Alabama, and and that's not what happened, right? Nightmare scenario took place. Georgia lost. 
if that door is open, if that possibility is there, you had to know, you had to think that the committee, that the college football playoff product was going to find a way to get Alabama in there. They were going to move them up and they were going to find a way to put Alabama in the mix. Now, here's the deal. You can go with the argument of four best teams, or you can go with the argument of most deserving, also quote unquote best teams, the best teams that are also the most deserving, right? If you go with the most deserving route, neither SEC team is in the college football playoff. Neither of them are. Okay. The move would have been Michigan, Washington, Texas, because they have the head to head win over Alabama, and then the undefeated Power Five. ACC conference champ, Florida State. I would have been fine with that. I would have been fine with that. Okay. For, for me personally, I would have been fine with that because the logic would have tracked at that point in time. If you go purely with the four best teams in the country, Georgia and Alabama both need to be in the playoff. It, in my opinion, if you go with the four best teams in all of college football, you have to go Michigan, you have to go Texas, you have to go Alabama, and you have to go Georgia. And you leave out Washington and you leave out Florida State. So it's either one or the other, in my opinion. You either put both SEC teams in or neither of the SEC teams in. Instead, the committee found a way to piss down their leg and, in my opinion, fuck this up, and they split the difference and they used the best teams in the country argument to slide Alabama into that spot and then most deserving teams to justify leaving Texas in there but leaving Florida State out and then taking Georgia and bouncing them out for the first time in the college football playoff, the number one team in that, in that ranking tumbles out of the top four. It's messy. It's messy and it feels dirty. It feels dirty because it feels obvious. What is obvious? I'll tell you what's obvious. Michigan is a national brand and a blue blood program. Texas is a national brand and a blue blood program. And Alabama is a national brand and a blue blood program. And they have three of the four spots in the college football playoff. That is what is obvious to me. That's what's obvious to me. And once again, I made this argument a couple of weeks ago. If there's a way that the TV companies can influence this decision, that committee is going to go that way because it is about eyes on screens. That's what this decision, in my opinion, really came down to. Now, you can sit here and say that I'm a Salty Dogs fan. I'm just upset that my team's not in the playoff, yada, yada, and so forth. And that's fine. You are absolutely entitled to your opinion. At the end of the day, I'm at peace with it 29 consecutive wins two national titles 31 ranked wins over kirby smart's tenure for georgia homie i am good we're playing in a new year new year six game we're playing our consolation prize is the orange bowl there are programs all across the nation who have never sniffed a new year six bowl they have never played in a single one of those games, they they would they would cut off their right arm to have the opportunity to play in the Orange Bowl. 
we are blessed and highly favored. We are in a great position at the University of Georgia, and I am proud of my team. I am thankful for my team. I am thankful for those players and the coaches that in, inspire so much good and so much positivity on the field, off the field, and run a class act program out there in Athens under Kirby and everything else. Just couldn't be prouder of of all of them, and I'm thankful. So that at the end of the day, I am not. I am not dying inside right now, but you do hate it. You do hate it for Florida State. You do. I do. Honestly, I do. I really do. I do feel bad for this Florida State program to be undefeated, to have passed every test that was asked of them for some injury bad luck, to go their way, to leave enough, to leave a door open, to leave the excuse there. Just like Georgia losing yesterday to Alabama left a door open for the true path that this committee and this these TV companies wanted to see, um, in in my opinion. Now, that all being said, congratulations to the four teams that were selected. I mean, at the end of the day, congratulations. Michigan makes the college football playoff for the third year in a row and wins its third consecutive Big Ten title. That's tremendous. As a Michigan fan, you've got to be over the moon about where your program is at. And you, once again, you have the opportunity to win a national title. Washington returns to the college football playoff for the first time since I think it was like 2016 or something like that. Maybe even before. I think it was 2016, something, something like that. Either way, maybe, um, you know, congratulations to them. They, they've been gutsy. They've fought hard. They've fought through adversity this season. Uh, Michael Penix is one of the best feel-good stories, I think, in all of college football to come from Indiana and, you know, have the knee injuries that he's had and be doubted and everything else to get a second life, get a second lease on life up there in the Pacific Northwest and do what he's doing uh, is is really tremendous. Speaks volumes to his character, what Kalen DeBoer has been able to do up there with that program. And they're going to put some guys in the NFL. Um, I would say top to bottom there, the – the least talented team overall in the in this playoff but they do have a lot of experience all over the field and there's something to be said for just being a group of uh, grown-ass men going out there and playing some college football so it'll be really interesting to see how they do texas talking about new lease on life with steve sarkeesian i mean this is a guy that has battled some serious demons in his personal life and his professional life and now has Texas back. I, I'll I'll call it. You make a college football playoff. You go uh, twelve and one. You win the Big Twelve title for the first time since two thousand nine. Since the last time you played in an, in a national championship game. Yeah, I'll call you back. Texas this season is back. We'll see if the program long term is back. But you have to like the the way that Texas is trending. I mean, in recruiting and program building and everything else. So, you know, hats off to what he's been able to do this season. Alabama, look, you're the standard bearer, the gold standard of college football. Have been for years and years. You know, you found a way to make it back to the show. And like I said earlier, like I had alluded to earlier, Alabama has done it by getting back to who they are, getting back to the basics, getting back to the identity of that Nick Saban program, the program he wanted to build in the first place that was built on defense, line of scrimmage play, physicality, playing complementary football, 
uh, playing with balance on offense. He's doing all of those things with this team, and you can tell he's really soaking in and really, really appreciating it. So congratulations to Alabama uh, on a job well done in Atlanta. And the fan base, you know, gets uh, gets another one. So they they get they get the experience of being in the college football playoff again. So what can you say about that? For some of the other conference championship games from around the country, Liberty took care of business against New Mexico State and Jerry Kill in another pretty good feel good um, story of the year. Right, New Mexico State again. Historically, a program that has not known a lot of success plays for the Conference USA Championship against Jamie Chadwell and Liberty. Because Liberty gets that win and Tulane took the loss in the American Conference Championship to SMU. Crazy. Absolutely. Look. The two-lane team that I saw show up against UTSA, I thought that that team was the best group of five team in the country. I mean, the way they they forced the turnovers, what they looked like on the line of scrimmage, Michael Pratt, everything else, I was like, okay, well, this is, you know what? Tulane has done it. They are the best group of five team. And then SMU did not, just did not give a shit. They showed up. They played their brand of ball. They played with physicality as well as what they were able to do on offense. I mean, um, and they hung in there. They weathered the early storm against Tulane. I mean, again, this is another one of those uh, underdog upsets of the, of the conference championship weekend. So by virtue of SMU handing Tulane that loss and Liberty being undefeated at 13-0 and and winning the conference USA championship, Liberty is going to play in a New Year's Six Bowl. They're going to play against Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I'm not going to preview that game on this episode. I think it's a, a, a bit early, right? Because <laughs> another big development is happening tomorrow. The transfer portal officially opens for everybody, graduate and non-graduate. And I think you're going to see a lot of movement starting at pretty much, what time is it right now? It is 10.04 p.m. Central Time, so in roughly about an hour, at the stroke of midnight on the East Coast, I think you're going to see quite a bit of movement and activity in the portal as players are going to enter their names. You're, you're going to see the shuffle. You're going to see the shift. It's going to be dictated by which teams are playing potentially which games, which teams are not playing in the postseason, um, which teams and what they look like in the recruiting picture coming into the 2024 class and what players feel like they need to move to better situations, uh, how much NIL certain p- programs have to throw around. So uh, calling bowl games right now and trying to preview them for what that roster is going to look like. Remember, bowl season comes down to kind of, for me, two factors. It's motivation, first and foremost, the willingness to be in this game. And number two is the personnel situation. Who's portaling? Who's hurt? Who's declaring for the draft? And then once you've scraped and cobbled together your roster, are they willing to be in that fight? So it's kind of hard to preview. But congratulations for Liberty making the Fiesta Bowl, and congratulations to Oregon as well for making a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see who's playing, who's gonna who's gonna sit out potentially, who's gonna play. But you know that this is like a Super Bowl for Liberty. 
uh, getting to take on one of the premier programs in all of college football. So Fiesta Bowl will be Oregon versus Liberty. The Cotton Bowl will be Ohio State versus Missouri, two teams that have two different feels to them, right? Ohio State, although they only have one loss, to now the number one team in the country in the Michigan Wolverines is in the playoff. Um, the season didn't go the way they wanted it to, and this has been well documented over the year. Ryan Day said it himself. You have three goals at Ohio State. It's to beat that team up north, win the Big Ten, and compete for a national title. They are doing none of those. They have done none of those three things um, this year. They did make the playoff last year. We say that they had a thriller with Georgia. Uh, a lot of people, including myself, argue that that was the true national championship game, which I, I do wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, that being said, coming up a little bit short and a little bit disappointing this year, but they get a bid to the Cotton Bowl against Missouri. Missouri, a team that I would assume as a program, as a staff with Eli Drinkwitz there and that roster. Uh, again, chock full of a lot of kids that have come back and transferred in uh, that are older. It is an older team uh, that they've got to be over the moon as far as their opportunity to go and compete against a program like Ohio State in a New Year's Six Bowl game. So congratulations to them. The Peach Bowl, Penn State. Another one of these Big East teams, you know, again, taking the two losses to Ohio State and Michigan, but Penn State is still a very, very, very good football team, and they're going to take on Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. I would assume that this would be a little bit more of a home game for Ole Miss, but that Penn State uh, fan base travels very, very well. They are very strong nationally as a fan base. I, I don't know about that that game. I, I would assume that Penn State, given the youth of the roster, and the fact that a lot of their guys are not quite draft eligible or you know, it might actually make sense for a lot of them to return and maybe take a stab at doing something real special next year, you may see a lot of Penn State play in this game. Um, and then you know, Ole Miss, congratulations to them. Another 10-win season engineered by Lane Kiffin at a program that has not historically been known for 10-win seasons. So that should be a cool matchup. And then the Orange Bowl. As I mentioned earlier on the episode, we got Florida State versus Georgia. Now, here's the deal. For Georgia, even though I'm grateful and I'm happy about what my team has done, if there is a lot of guys that are going to turn pro potentially or skip to the portal because of recruiting situations with incoming onboarding guys coming into the program or going and trying to make a bag somewhere else because the NIL dollars are getting stretched thin. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a fly on the wall in that Georgia front office. Couldn't tell you. You wonder what the personnel is going to look like for Georgia that's going to play in this bowl game. You know, this is also a time of year that some people elect to have surgeries or try to get healthy too, you know, before spring football. So you never know what the composition of the roster and the team is going to look like exactly. And then the motivation to be there. Now, here's the deal. I do fully believe that whatever Kirby Smart shows up with in Miami, even if it is chocked full of a lot of the youth on this roster, the underclassmen, everything else, I do believe 100% that the players that will be on the field will 100% be willing to be there and want to play hard. It just depends on what the team's going to look like. But 
if nothing else, it may be a good look for next year, the roster moving ahead. For Florida State, on the other hand, they have an opportunity to cap off an undefeated season. They're 13-0. They're the ACC champions. They're playing in the Orange Bowl in Miami in the state of Florida in front of what I will consider to be probably a very large home crowd one more time with this roster, with Mike Norvell, another coach that is more substance than he is Flash, and a Seminole squad that has an opportunity to make history as a 14-0 undefeated Seminoles team. I'm going to also direct your attention to something else. We all remember UCF's undefeated 2017 season that they capped with a win against the Auburn Tigers, who had beaten Alabama and Georgia that year, okay? Two of the teams that were playing in the national title game. They defeated Auburn by a touchdown, and they were voted number one in the country on the exit poll by one major sports publication. I can't remember which one it was, but that is all you need to claim a national title. The only thing you need is a major sports publication to rank you number one in all the land. And you can, at, at the end of the season, at the exit polls, and you can claim a national title. Now, here's the deal. If Florida State goes down there and beats Georgia, it doesn't matter if they beat them by a lot or a little. If they go down there, they beat Georgia. They're 14-0. and And let's say, also concurrently, Alabama wins the national title, which then makes that win over Georgia look even stronger. If there is a major sports publication that goes, you know what? Florida State got hosed. They deserve the right to be in the playoff. It was taken from them. They just took care of business in a New Year Six Bowl against the Georgia Bulldogs, a team that just won back-to-back national titles, a team that, again, had the 29-game Again, a win that holds a lot of weight. You could see a sports publication, not, and I'm, I wouldn't even say it would be just one. There might be a handful that may go ahead and rank Florida State as the number one team on the exit polls, and they could claim a national title for the 2023 season. They could do it. Now, whether or not they would as a program, I don't know, but you'd have to think with the reaction from Mike Norvell and the reaction from Florida State's athletic director and Seminole Nation in general, I think they would be well within their right to do so if that scenario played out. So my point is, is there is a lot to play for if you are the Florida State Seminoles in this one. There is a lot of intrinsic motivation to go out there and get a win in this game, in my opinion, if you're Florida State. So the Orange Bowl between Florida State and Georgia, that could be a banger because you could have two coaches in Mike Norvell, who I have a lot of respect for, for the culture that he has built at Florida State. And I think it's really incredible that he takes a portal team, largely portal team, because they're recruiting over the the last couple of years, high school-wise, has not been good enough to kind of get them to where 
the level that they're playing at right now, but the inject of the guys they brought in in the portal. But it doesn't feel like a portal team. Now, you could say, well, Mike, that's because they've had success. That's because they've won. That's because they've continued to win. I get that. I understand that. We've seen other portal teams completely implode when they start taking the losses. Colorado, USC, to name a couple. We've seen that side of the coin, right? So you could say it's because of the success, but in the way I feel about this Florida State team, and I, and I think a lot of people kind of agree about it, is you almost forget that they have been built through the portal to the extent that they have because they just have this feel that it's like they've been playing together for years and years. You feel like they've been recruited together. You feel like they've grown up playing Seminole football together for a few years now. So it has a little bit of a different feel, and I think that speaks tremendously to the culture and the attitude with which Mike Norvell has built this Florida State program. You have Kirby Smart with the dogs, who is known for doing that same exact thing. Culture is alive and well in Athens. You could see two teams show up for this Orange Bowl, bring in that mentality, and I think you could be in for a classic. It is an opportunity to compete it is an opportunity to put it all on display. And I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of talk out there from a lot of college football fans, quote unquote, college football fans that talk about meaningless bowl games and there's no point. I'm sorry. And this is my opinion, but if that is the way, and I know I'm speaking in absolutes. Okay. So I'm going to speak in absolutes for just a moment, but if that is the way that you think and you feel that it's a meaningless bowl game, then go watch the fucking NFL. Just go do that, okay? Please, leave my sport alone and go watch Sunday football so the games really don't matter all of September and October, and it, it, it that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, you can go watch that shit, all right? Go watch that if that's the way that you feel about it because it does matter. It matters to these kids. It matters to these fan bases. It matters to the people that pour themselves into these programs at a level that could never be replicated at the pro level. It matters to me. It matters if you're a competitor. Okay, if you want to be a fucking crybaby about it, then don't watch. But I guarantee you, you will tune in after saying how meaningless and pointless it is, then you're still going to come through and creep and watch it. You will, you know, doing that, like things not going your way and then sitting back and going, well, it's just all meaningless anyway. That is the same kid we all hated on the block that like if the game of Sandlot football wasn't going his way, he's and he was a kid, he like brought the ball. He's like, I'm taking my ball home and I'm leaving now. So no one can play because this isn't going the way I want it to go. It's that same crybaby bullshit every single year that people come out with when it doesn't go their way for their team. Look, man, I know it's a tough pill to swallow when you put so much of your investment and so much of your attention and so much of your belief in the team, it doesn't go your way, but only one team can win the national title. Only one team is taking it home every year. That means that there's going to be 132 teams left out to dry that are not going to win a national title. And if everybody took that approach of, well, it's all meaningless and no one gives a shit anyway, then don't play the games. Don't play the games. Don't pay attention. 
Go to go to a different sport, okay? Because the games do matter in college football. They matter. They matter to a lot of people more than I think crybaby, spoiled ass fan bases realize. And I'm talking to Georgia Nation here too because I've seen plenty of crybaby dogs today. I've seen plenty of crybaby Seminoles. I've seen pretty plenty of crybaby Ohio State. I've seen them all over the country. I've seen crybaby fans that are literally in teams on the playoffs. I've seen the, the grossest stuff in the chats today. Don't let Selection Sunday rob you of your joy of this sport is what I'm getting at. Because the best things about this sport, honestly, it's not even about the playoff. It's just, it's about showing up, supporting your team. It's about the ability to compete. It's about the feeling and the way that your team makes you feel. And when you're in that atmosphere, it's about those games in September and October and November when you're playing your rivals. It's about building memories with your families and your fellow fans. It's about being part of the 12th man, or it's about when neck comes on in Death Valley, or it's about watching Clemson run down the ramp, or it's about being in the swamp listening to Tom Petty or Inner Sandman or the Whiteout. That's what it's about. That's what makes this sport beautiful. It's not a fucking playoff and a TV packaged product. All right, so don't let that rob you of the passion you have for this game. That's all I got to say about that. That's my soapbox moment to close out what I think has been a pretty good episode of the Any Given You podcast. Selection Sunday wrapped up. We delved into what it meant for the playoff teams and non-playoff teams. We have the bowl season hot and heavy coming up. Before that, though, we have America's game. We have Army, Navy going down this upcoming Saturday. We'll absolutely be previewing that game along with our first slate of bowl games in any given use bowl mania that we like to do the entire month of December through the playoff and through the national championship. And I hope that you'll continue to join us here on the Any Given You podcast. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please tell some of your friends about the pod. Again, tickled to death about our Spotify rap numbers and definitely want to keep that going. So thank you so much for what it is that you do. I hope that you're safe and healthy out there. Happy holiday season. Happy bowl season. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you.